Amen. Good morning, church family. Good morning. You may have a seat. And my name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. We are glad that you are with us at Faith Free. So in a couple of minutes, I'll have you grab your Bibles and we'll study together as usual. All right. Hey, I got a question for you. Uh, when you were growing up, when you were younger, maybe junior high, high school especially, when you were growing up, what was the N word for how you expressed cool or good? You know, when you, you know, when you got excited about something and you were growing up, junior high, high school, what was that it word that everybody said? Let me hear some of them. Groovy. What else? Rad. Boss. That's boss. What else we got? Totally. Sweet. I heard. Killer. Am I missing any? I know there's more. I'll, I'll, I'll trust you know them. All right. Well, for me, two of those that were very overused and, and potentially still sometimes overused were awesome and radical. And we could shorten the radical to, that's rad, which was already mentioned. My friend Dan's, I think, got a t-shirt with the word rad on it, which is pretty cool. Um, we're going to hear those words today as we study God's word. And I would like to think that we're going to be able to redeem those words a little bit and have them mean what the word awesome and radical was meant to mean, and have it mean a little bit more than, hey, that's cool. And uh, last, last week, as we're studying through the book of Mark, last week, uh, one of our leaders, Darren, was up here teaching us from God's word, and we were in the passage where Jesus is in a boat with his disciples, and there's a massive storm that comes up, and they're freaked out, and Jesus calms the storm. Remember that? Because Jesus has awesome power that brings about radical change from crazy storm, from great storms and great fears to great calm, is what Darren reminded us last week. Because Jesus' awesome power brings about radical change. Um, But Darren, I was thinking, you know, before you spoke last Sunday and afterward, I was thinking how you kind of missed an opportunity, you know. So I thought I'd just catch up for that right now. I thought I'm just giving you a hard time. But he knows what I'm about to do, I think. Um, there was an opportunity he had last Sunday, you know, because before Jesus gets up and calms the storm, where was he? He was sleeping on this pillow. This pillow says, Jesus took naps. Be like Jesus. So I thought you missed that opportunity, Darren. I mean, I thought what we really needed to be exhorted to last Sunday was to go home and take a nap because we could be like Jesus. I'm pretty sure that's the pillow he was asleep on in the stern of the boat. It says Mark uh, 4.38 there at the bottom, too. Um, But no, obviously, Darren did a great job. God's word reminded us last week that in the midst of our great storms and our great fears, we have a great rescuer. Our God-man, our rescuer Jesus, who brings uh, radical change from his awesome power. So much change in that passage last week that his disciples had to ask the question, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So grab your Bible, open to Mark chapter 5 as we continue our journey through the book of Mark. We're in a series of messages called God-Man because we want to know Jesus, the God-Man, more and more. If you uh, have your Bible with you, open to Mark chapter 5. We'll start at verse 1. You can use an app and flip to Mark there as well. 
If you don't have a Bible, we would love to help you get one if you need one, so just let us know. As every Sunday, we want to keep our finger in the text. We want to follow and learn from God's Word. So, Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. I don't think this is worship. This is not worship, but it's recognition of who Jesus is. Verse 7. And the man with the evil spirit shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had just said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. So then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. So he evades giving a name and instead answers with a number, basically. The word legion was a, was a, a group of, of soldiers in the Roman army. It could have been thousands of soldiers. And I don't think that indicates there was thousands of evil spirits, but I think the point is that there are many. Verse 10, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Is, this is something crazy to notice about the way this passage is written. There's back and forth language here, back and forth pronouns between singular and plural. He's referring him to himself. He's going back and forth between singular and plural, saying, or the passage is referring to him and saying he, but then sometimes it says we or them. This poor man is unable to act apart from the demon's control. Verse 11. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And Jesus gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Demons, these evil spirits, are bent on destruction. What they had been doing to the man, they now have done to the pigs. It was the demons who brought about death, not Jesus. Verse 14. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in town and countryside. And the people went to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. So, we're going to stop there. We'll pick up the passage in a moment. Keep your finger there in Mark chapter 5. Uh, let's quickly recap what we know about this man, the main character so far besides Jesus. Uh, what do we know about this man? Well, he's an outcast. He's living among the dead. He's in an area known for demons. That's where he has to be. Uh, we know that people tried to subdue him. The passage says that they tried to subdue him, almost like tame him like as if he is a wild animal. 
And again, like a wild animal, we see that he's strong. He broke chains. It like, sounds like a ferocious animal that's chained up and trying to get out. He screams and he wails, perhaps crying out for help. And he's cutting himself, perhaps trying to rid himself of the demons. I know we have, um, I know we have gifted folks among you in our church family that are good at acting. And if we wanted to really get a sense of the desperate situation this man was in, I could have asked uh, someone to come up here and act these verses that we just read out. Uh, But Luke, when Luke tells this story, he adds this detail that the man had not worn clothes in quite some time. So I don't know if there would have been too many volunteers to come up and act it out. But the bottom line is this, that this man is in a wretched pitiful condition. He's been overrun by evil spirits. This is not the way God intended things. We live in a fallen world. Because of the entrance of sin into the world, things are not as they should be. And what this man needs is, is his good, loving father to rescue him. And it's not just that man who needs that, is it? It's all of us that need good loving power coming to the rescue. So then, that's what the situation this man was in. But then later, let's look at verse 15 again to see the transformation that has occurred. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. So instead of wandering around and wailing, he's quietly sitting perhaps even the posture of a disciple, of a follower of Jesus. Instead of being shamefully naked, he is now clothed. Where'd the clothes come from? Perhaps an extra coat right off the back of one of Jesus' friends. And instead of being a raving lunatic, we find him now in his right mind because Jesus has awesome power that brings about radical change. Now that's how we use the words awesome and radical. Awesome power. Radical change. That's not just me saying, hey, that's rad. You got a rad t-shirt. This man went from tormented man to eager disciple. That's a radical change. And like the disciples after the storm was calmed last week, we should ask again today, who is this? Jesus is the God-man, the promised rescuer. The rescuer that God's people have been waiting for is here. His kingdom is here. Jesus has awesome power that brings about radical change. So let's talk about his power and what we see his power at work doing in this passage this morning. Jesus' awesome power heals, delivers, and restores. We've been, reading, we've been studying through the book of Mark, and we've seen his awesome power heal, haven't we? We've seen a paralyzed man get up and walk. We've seen a man with a withered hand have his hand restored. We see that Jesus uses his awesome power to heal And in this passage today, we see that Jesus uses his awesome power to deliver. In this case, to rescue, to deliver this man from being overrun by evil spirits. The pigs in the passage 
are vivid proof that this man has been delivered. Right? This man is free. This man has been set free. He's been delivered from evil because the pigs prove it, that what the evil demons bent on destruction were doing to the man have been put in the pigs, and that destruction is complete. He's been delivered. The man has been rescued. So quick thoughts. Uh, This is a good opportunity to have some quick thoughts about demons and the reality of spiritual warfare. Uh, We need to know, we need to know as followers of Jesus, the reality of spiritual war. We we, we need to be understanding of the reality of the fact that there is an invisible war between the powers of good and evil, and and there are these things that, that occur that we don't see, that we don't always get. While we need to be aware and while we need to be realistic, we also get to revel, claim, celebrate the fact that we know who wins. Who is already limiting the power of Satan and his, and his forces, our great God, already limiting, and who will have ultimate victory when Satan is vanquished forever in the future. The other thing we need to think about when we think about demons and demon possession and we wonder about that and we think, man, does this stuff really happen? And I want, to, I want us to think about this really quick. When we um, understand the work of Satan and his forces and we see in Scripture, most of the time, Satan's work is in the very ordinary. His lies, his deception, his trickery. That's mostly, most often, most frequently how the evil one is at work. Demon possession is very rare. So I say that because we need to be careful and not be looking for it around every corner and behind every bush. Does that make sense? This is a rare situation. And, and, And sometimes the behavior we see in people that makes us worried is sin, or the result of sinful behavior in their lives. And so let's not jump to the conclusion that we think everything that seems odd, that seems to be something's going on, let's not jump to the conclusion of demons. We don't control demons by knowing their name. That's not what Jesus models in this passage. Um, And while we need to be aware of the reality of these battles, let's not be obsessed with it. Let's not be anxious about it, because again, in Christ, we have been set free. In Christ, we have been made alive. In Jesus, uh, in Jesus has come, and his kingdom is, is upon us, and his kingdom is being established, and in the future, God will reign, and Satan will be vanquished. So we don't need to overly obsess or worry And like Jesus delivered this man from from the evil spirits, we know that Jesus can deliver us from what is gripping us. So far, so good? Everybody all right? I know I said that Jesus took naps earlier and that you should go take a nap, but not now. Preferably not, you know, right now. Jesus' awesome power 
heals, delivers, and restores. We've talked about healing, we've talked about deliverance, and, we've, and, then, and then let's talk about restores. Human beings, you and I, are made, and this man in our story, are made in the image of God. We've been made to be image bearers of our great God. And sin and evil mars that image, kind of messes up that image. But Jesus has awesome power to bring about radical change. Jesus is in the business of restoring that image in us. And this has been my experience in my life following Jesus. My experience has been that Jesus is transforming me, that he's making me new from the inside out, that he's giving me new heart and new attitudes and new desires I'm a mess apart from him. And I've got areas where I struggle, and I've got areas where I've sinned, and I've got areas where I've been hurt. But Jesus is at work transforming me and making me new. I've seen him heal childhood hurts. I've seen him deliver me from being enslaved to patterns of sin. And I've certainly seen him restoring in me his image, restoring me to be the man he made me to be. Life isn't perfect, I am not perfect, but God is working for our good and his glory. And for those of you that are in Christ, you that are followers of Jesus, you that have submitted your life to him, you that have decided I can't do it on my own, I don't match up, I need God's help. Those of you that have entrusted yourselves to Jesus, I know you too are experiencing these things, right? Healing and deliverance and restoration. You that have followed Jesus are experiencing the joy of of forgiveness of sin and healing and deliverance and restoration because Jesus' power brings about radical change. That's what I've seen in my life and that's what I want for each of you. That's why we come to study God's word together. That's why we lift our eyes and worship our great God. Jesus' awesome power brings about radical change. And, the, and that's because of the gospel. Radical change occurs in our lives because of the gospel. And an author and pastor named Tim Keller describes the gospel this way that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. I'll say amen. Yet we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's how Tim Keller sums up the gospel. The good news that apart from Jesus, we're in a world of hurt, and destined for hell, an eternity apart from him, stuck in our sin, unable to rescue ourselves, more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe. But the good news is that God and his son sent Jesus, who lived and died and rose again so that we might have victory and new life with him. Do we remember what Jesus has done for us? If you've been following Jesus for a week, do you remember what Jesus rescued you from? 
if you've been following Jesus for 40 years, do we remember what Jesus has done for us? Are we aware? Are we aware of the good news? Are we thankful? Does it grip us? Does the gospel capture our hearts and minds because of its incredible, glorious truth? Are we thankful that we are forgiven? That we're loved? That we've been set free? That we are children? That we are his kids? Adopted into his family? This is thrilling news. And I, I just am reminded over and over that the gospel must be good news to me every day. For me to live as I should, for you to live as God wants you to, as God wants to pour his love to you and overflow out of you to those around you, in order for that to happen, we need to live by and remember and take to heart the glorious truth of the gospel every day. It's not old news, friends. It's not just for back then. Jesus' awesome power brings about radical change. I need his power to continue changing me, and so do you. If you are living apart from Jesus, if this is sort of new to you, if you're not sure about, about being able to be in a relationship, in a friendship with our great God, I urge you to trust Jesus today. Perhaps today is the day of your salvation, where you find new life, meaningful life in the now as we walk this earth, and even better, life rich and eternal and everlasting with the creator of the universe. Perhaps today is the day of your salvation. If you are not in Christ, if you want to know more about what Jesus has done for you, would you come and talk to me in a few minutes? Would you talk to a Christian that's sitting near you? We would love to tell you more about following Jesus. And for those of us that are already following Jesus, like the guy said in the video, he's calling you again. Because followers of Jesus follow Jesus. It's continual. It continues to happen. His awesome power continues to bring about radical change. But for those of us following Jesus, has uh, following Jesus always been what we expected it to be? For those of us following Jesus, has following Jesus always been what we expected it to be? Yeah, see, I'm reminding you that it's okay to actually answer me. <laughs> that was pretty cool. I tried again and you did it. Yeah, that was awesome. It doesn't, after this demonized man in our passage is rescued by Jesus, he, I think, had an expectation of how life would look moving forward. And things turn out a little bit differently. I think Jesus has other plans. So let's go back to the Bible. I'm at verse 18 now, Mark chapter 5, verse 18. Following Jesus, I don't think, was what this man expected, but he responds in obedience. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat... The man who had been, past tense, delivered, right? Had been demon-possessed. Begged to go with Jesus. Wouldn't you? 
Good grief. I hope that would have been my response. Remember what a pitiful, sad, awful situation he was in? And now he's been rescued and transformed. He's new. And he's going, man, Jesus, I want to come with you. Where are you going? I'll be right behind you. What are we going to do next? You going to do that for someone else? I would have wanted to be right behind him too. Verse 19 says, Jesus did not let him. What? I thought followers of Jesus follow Jesus. And this man says, I want to follow you, Jesus. But in this case, following Jesus is going to look differently than this man expected. Verse 19 says, Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. While all of us, I think, would actually rather, would actually, would rather, you know, actually physically follow Jesus like he asked to, while all of us would probably rather have him here in the flesh and get to high-five him and get to listen to him in person and get to follow in his steps, while that would certainly be our preference in this case, for this man in our passage, and for you and I, following Jesus looks like obeying his command to go and tell the good news of what Jesus has done. Jesus' awesome power brings about radical change. This man was a, this tormented man became eager disciple, became gospel messenger because of what Jesus had done for him because the good news really was good news to him because he'd lived it because he'd benefited from it tormented man eager disciple thankful for the good news and the difference it made in his life became a gospel messenger became a proclaimer of the good news. Jesus' awesome power in my life has brought about radical change, but I don't want to be done. I don't want to just be, okay, I'm good. Thanks, Jesus. You changed me a little bit. Thanks very much. I'm going to go back to living my life on my own. I want to be all in. I want Jesus' awesome power to continue to bring about radical change in my life, and I want that to include growing in obedience to these words that are on the screen from verse 19. I want to obey these words from our rescuing Savior. Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. But will I? Do I? Will you go and tell? I don't do this very often, but I'm going to read an excerpt to you from a book called Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt. I just finished reading it this weekend. I highly recommend it. Um, Not all of you will read it, and that's great, but if you read it, I would love to hear about it. If If you pick up a copy and you will read it, I would love to know. But this is a book called Gospel Fluency by Jeff Vanderstelt. I'm going to read from it because I think you'll enjoy it. I think it'll help us with what we're talking about this morning as we finish. 
but I just, I don't, I don't like to do it very often because I'm reading to you, but I just ask you to, you know, bear with me and let's see what God has in mind for us this morning. Um, so before I read the, uh, the excerpt here, just a, about a page is all. Uh, how many of you are NFL fans? Actually, I'll put my hand down. I'm not really an NFL fan. That's it? We've got like five NFL fans. Okay, good. So what about Seahawks fans? Okay. Nice. So, so Jeff Vanderstelt is from the Pacific Northwest as well, this pastor and author. And so he's a big Seahawk fan. So whether you're a big Seahawk fan or not, as I start to read, here's what I want you to do. If you're a big Seahawk fan, then you'll be right at home as I read. If you're not a big Seahawk fan, try to think of another sports team if you're a sports person. Who's your team? And how'd you feel when they had some significant success? When they won a championship, when they won a big game? Okay, think about it. Is it your Beavers? Is it your Ducks? Is it your NBA team? You know, think about that. Ready? Jeff Vanderstelt. I still live in the Seattle area, and on February 2nd, 2014, we had some good news to proclaim. Our Seahawks destroyed the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl. Sorry, Broncos fans. Well, not really, he writes. Now, as far as I know, there were no Seahawks fan training events or evangelism classes on how to proclaim the crushing victory. Nobody had to hand out tracts because people were too inept to tell the story about our victory. I don't recall anyone teaching people how to draw pictures showing the growing chasm of years that separated us from the Vince Lombardi trophy, finally being bridged by Russell Wilson, Marshawn Lynch, the Legion of Boone, and the 12th man, Seahawk fans. No, we didn't need help telling the story of our victory. You couldn't shut us up. You still can't even a few years later. We had a story to tell. The Seahawks defeated Peyton Manning and all his minions. The odds seemed to be against us. Can anything good come from Seattle, the media asked. But we knew all along we could win. Our Seahawks made a public spectacle out of Peyton and his Broncos. We came home with the trophy. Seattle proclaimed the good news because it was good news. We love our Seahawks. We talk about our Seahawks, and our Seahawks worked the Broncos over. We were the champions, and the Broncos were thoroughly defeated. We talk about what we love. We love what we talk about. Are you tracking here? We have a far greater story to tell than a football victory. We were enemies of God, hopeless and helpless. Are you with me? We have a far greater story to tell than a football victory. We were enemies of God, hopeless and helpless, enslaved to sin and Satan, crushed daily by his destructive blows. For hundreds of years, the world needed a savior. We needed to be set free, forgiven, restored. Jesus came And it did not look good. He was from Nazareth, for goodness sake. But he lived the life we couldn't. He went undefeated for 33 years. Then on the cross, it looked as if it was over, and it was. But it wasn't a victory for evil. Jesus won as he rose again on the third day. Sin was paid for. Satan was crushed. And death 
was dealt a death blow. Jesus made a public spectacle of Satan, sin, and death, and he overcame for us. Now we are free, forgiven, loved, and more than conquerors. Do you believe it? Do you love it? Do you love him? If so, tell the world, Jeff writes. Tell your community, tell your friends, tell your spouse, tell your children, tell your neighbor, tell your boss, tell your coworkers, tell your enemies, and tell them every day. Tell them, tell everyone that love has come to town and defeated death, hatred, sickness, and sorrow. It's good news. It's great news. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father God, we are so thankful for your great love for us. Father God, we are so grateful that you are the one true God on high, the creator of all, the creator of everyone and everything. Father, we come to you and we worship you today. Father God, would you help us this morning and would you help us this afternoon and this week and always, would you help us consider the glorious truth of the gospel? Would you help us remember what Jesus has done? Father God, remind us of his sinless life, substitutionary death, and victorious resurrection. Father God, remind us, make us aware, make it go from head to heart so that we might be so thankful for the fact that we live in Jesus, that we live forgiven, loved, free, your kids, so that the gospel would really be good news to us. Remind us. And God, teach us, urge us, push us forward. Help us to talk about what we love. Teach us to talk about who we love. Because as we've experienced, those in, in Jesus, as we've experienced your rescuing, transforming grace, we want others to hear and experience that good news too. Father, we want others to meet and know and follow Jesus. Father, we pray that we would be part of your mission to the world, that you would use us as you see fit to proclaim your good news and to share your love with a world who so desperately needs it. In Jesus' name, amen.